Welcome back, guys. Hello, everybody. We're back and we're here with episode 32. Paranormal 911. Yes. Because it's all about uh, medical hauntings or hauntings in the medical field. And it's all about Rosa because she done sent us two stories. Holla at your girl. Our girl. She's our main boo. She is. I love her. I'm so excited to share her stories later. So we had like some technical difficulties because we did try to record this episode previously. But when we were listening to the um, the 911, oh my gosh, the 911 call Rosa sent in, I personally, like I felt sick after and I couldn't keep recording and then... Just yeah. stuff just was happening, and I was like, every so time I thought of it, I was just sick. So it wasn't, like, technical difficulties because it was nothing with, like, our technology. I think it was just, like, our <laughs> <laughs> difficulties it was, with, uh, with what she sent us. So Rosa sent us a video and a, rec- a 911 recording, um, and what Andrea is – uh, referring to is the 911 recording mm-hmm. as soon as we you know heard it and and tried to to decipher it um it it, it just made it made me very nauseous and yeah, i was just too. ready to to stop to stop the episode yeah i had to stop and then obviously life got in the way but anyway yeah and then we went to florida where we um did our own little haunts down there and and now we're back <laughs> yes um well i'm andrea i'm cindy i'm gabriella and we are haunted, haunted hermanas. hermanas all right well cindy i think you have research this week so without further ado get into it yes so i am going to speak about the san antonio state hospital um and I'm going to start with some background first about the hospital and then go into specific details and why it's deemed haunted. So here it goes. The first center established in Texas for those suffering from mental illness was the Texas State Lunatic Asylum, which was later named Austin State Hospital. Um, Of course, you know, lunatic is a strong word. (laughs) It's pretty harsh. You know, that's not really, uh, you, you know, nice. Um, so that's why it was named Austin State Hospital later. Um, another nickname for it is, what is the other nickname for it? Sash. S-A-S-H. Okay, so I'll be referring it to uh, Sash here and there. So... In 1889, the Texas legislator passed a bill establishing a state mental institution to serve Southwest Texas. So this new facility was to uh, occupy at least 640 acres and be able to house about 500 patients, right? So on this like land, the, the hospital was basically an independent village with crops, livestock, and a lake for fishing. Uh, so that's how it started back in 1892. Specifically, April 6, 1892 is when operations started. So the first eight months of the operation, the patient population grew to 142 patients. And then by 
August 1894, just two years later, there were 225 patients. Provisions for 300 more patients were authorized when $70,000 was appropriated in 1898, and then 1910, $100,000 was voted for expansion. So in the first couple of years, basically, they were granted uh, increments of, of, of money, okay? So by 1912, the facilities could accommodate 1,140 patients, and improvements were valued at half a million. So, uh, so by 1915, the hospital's capacity was 1,800. And in 1917, a training school for nurses in psychiatry had begun. So again, going back, th- you know, things were were r- rising up for them. So it seemed like, okay, they have the funds, they're expanding, all is going well, right? But uh, by, ni- by the 1920s, the hospital almost surpassed capacity, even with its expansion. So some patients were turned away at the door. So think about the 1920s, right? Uh, this not this is not something that I researched in my that I read in my research, but now that I'm reading it aloud, 1920s that's when the Great Depression occurred, right? What happens then? So we were in a major recession, and people lost everything. So they lost their you know their money. Uh, they lost the food that they had, you know, so like all of that, no wonder people are melancholy. Right. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Something I wanted to, to point out, point out. Exactly. So patients who were legitimately sick um, and suffered from undiagnosed diseases like seizures, uh, they were not given the proper treatment because of those lack of funds and the capacity limit. So you can imagine the conditions of an overcrowded place with a lot of mentally ill individuals. And going back to seizures, for example, like people who have who are epileptic, um, they were deemed mentally unstable, which that's not like a proper diagnosis. They just suffered from seizures. Right. So it's like it's like. Poor Jama, our brother-in-law Jama, he he has suffered from seizures all his life, and thank God he you know his medicine works. But it's like Jama going to getting um, turned away, <laughs> or not even or being accepted. But he, oh, he's crazy because he's you know he shakes a little. Yeah, because he shakes <laughs> a little. No, he meant it. <laughs> okay, so a lot of patients of all ages started dying under mysterious circumstances at the hospital. So I'm going to go over all of it. And there's tons and tons of examples. So that is the beginning of the end for the asylum. So I'm going to go- talk about the first uh, individual that, well, he wasn't the first, but this is an example of one of the individuals that was affected by this place. So his name was Chuatemco. Chino, you know, that's his nickname, Chino Garcia. So he was just 19 years old. He was a big boy weighing at between 180, 190 pounds. So that was considered big back then. Back then. (laughs) 
But he was also a smart kid who was attending the University of Texas. And, um, you know, he was admitted at 19 because he became physically ill. Um, I mean, physically ill and also, you know, he was just distressed. Basically, he was going through... Uh, a mental breakdown, but I mean, I get it. College, Hip. Um, yeah, that's the mean, time. <laughs> how many times people go to college and right before finals, you get you you just have a mental breakdown. Girl, this poor guy. I'm so, not even in college anymore. I still get mental breakdowns. I know. So this poor kid, you know, he gets admitted, and three days later, he dies. Mm. There was no cause of death in the his obituary. So another youth by the name of Raul Chapa entered the hospital after suffering a nervous breakdown. And he was also found dead 11 days after he was admitted by the institution. So Raul's physician uh, quoted, I was surprised when I learned Raul Chapa was dead. He elaborated by saying that his mental illness condition would not have caused his death. And he added, Chapa was not a violent mental case. He suffered from depressive type of mental illness. He would have raving spells following which he could, he would become depressive, but he was physically healthy. So what is going on, right? Um, there was also an account of an old lady by the name of Rose Fisher Harrison so she was referred to as a little old lady and a helpless invalid in actually some newspaper accounts. So by this time, there are like, like the local news it, newspaper is uh, writing stories about all these deaths. They're like, uh-uh, something's not that's something's not right here, right? So Rose had lost control of her limbs and could no longer take care of herself and was brought to the hospital. The police brought her to the hospital, and one of the doctors said to the police, she's so old, we want the young ones. Seven months later, Mrs. Harrison, mi pobre viejita, was dead. Wait, wait, what? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like to interrupt while you're speaking, but she's so old, we want young ones? What does that mean? Like, Right. Oh. What does that mean? What y'all doing in there? Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. continues. Yes. So, like I mentioned, the newspaper articles, like the local newspapers, um, they started writing articles about everything that's going on to the point where they, <laughs> they call all these deaths the March of Death. There was also a 75-year-old man who was beaten, starved, and dehydrated so severely he lost 30 pounds in only 15 days. Listen. I'm trying to lose 15 pounds. I knew I I'm knew you were going to say that <laughs> shit. I'm trying to lose 15 pounds in 30 days. But I'll be damned if you dehydrate me. I I'm love my hit. water. <laughs> that poor old man. I know. Poor, poor. Oh, I can't. So, yeah, it's young people and old people, right? It's all ages. There was actually um, a man who was who was incarcerated at the hospital for 12 years, right? And he finally was able to get out because he was deemed um, healthy, finally, after all these year, years. So he went back and tried to sue the asylum. So he was like, you know, I was, I, 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 I was forced to go in because 
I was a binge drinker. <laughs> what? I just like to I just like to party. What's wrong with that? I work hard. Y'all got me saying I'm crazy Yo, because they... I just like to drink and party. And you held my ass here for a dozen <laughs> years for no goddamn reason. So he attempted to sue um, the asylum, which I don't know how far it got. But um, so like there's no evidence to see if he won or lost. But this, of course, started bringing more interest into what the fuck is going on in this asylum. Yeah. Okay. Um, if um, that was really quick, yo, they would have mm-hmm. trued Gatia's up if that was her back in the day. <laughs> My cousin Gatia, God bless her. I love her. She is just a typical Pisces. She will talk to anyone. She, you know, she loves being the, the, the center of, of attention. Butterfly. Exactly. And, and like, she, like, I hope she never changes. <laughs> but her ass would have been up in there. Years ago, <laughs> she would have made a party out of it. Oh, absolutely. So, there was no evidence whether he won or lost the trial, right? But you know what happened to poor William after this? Do I want just to guess? <laughs> Let me guess, he died mysteriously. This dude was found on June 17, 1960, floating on the Mexican side of the Rio Grande. What? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, like fully clothed or naked or like dismembered. Oh, I don't. I, I, I don't know. Probably okay. dismembered. No. <laughs> let's, oh. let's be let's be honest here. Um. So according to the newspaper accounts, he had been murdered, and it seems like it was pretty suspicious. I mean, all murders are suspicious. Let's be honest. But yeah, that happened. Um. Okay. Now. <laughs> This next one, we're going to go from early 1900s to 1979. And we're going to talk about Patrick O'Brien. Oh. My, now, my guy, Patrick, he's a 300-pound, 36-year-old man. I felt like I knew that. I felt like that was coming. <laughs> so, you know how they said that back in, like, the 1800s or whatever? Like- that that nineteen year old was a big dude at yeah. one hundred ninety. Yeah. Now this is nineteen seventy nine. He's double his weight. He's three hundred pounds at thirty six years old. So he was arrested, and <laughs> instead of going to jail, they took his crazy ass here. Right? Which fine, whatever. But this man claims to be the son of Hitler. What? Yes, and the father. Of the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. What? So this man not only thinks that he is the son of Hitler, but he's also created, he fathered Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders at 36 years old. Ew. How are you doing that? Uh, that means what? that you're like at 20 years old, you you had like a whole cheerleading squad. That's what you created with your 300 pound ass. Not even okay. in the teens. Gross. Whatever. I can't. <laughs> So, O'Brien was arrested by police for murdering his parents. He murdered Hitler? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, maybe he was like, you know what? (laughs) My mama, you know damn well, she banged Hitler, had me. But, and so this is my stepdaddy that I killed. Okay. I can't. I absolutely cannot. So, anyway, so he reportedly stabbed them so many times that they looked like they had been blasted with a shotgun. 
So his step, his dad, I'm going to call him the stepfather because we all know his dad's Hitler. <laughs> so his stepfather had third degree burns. What? Because apparently Patrick tried to electrocute him before stabbing him. Oh my God. Okay. What type of fucking Adams family shit is this? I, right. I, I cannot. So after murdering his parents, um, and telling everyone he's Hitler's son, he was checked into the, into the hospital and he was there from 1966. I'm sorry, 1979 to, uh, 1986. And then we don't know what happened to him. No one knows where this man went. Like no record at all. Like there's nothing. Mm-mm. Okay. No. So, I mean, there's, so- there's, there's a lot. So as you can see, I mean, this is just one of many examples. We got Hitler's son. We got, you know, uh, old ladies being killed. Uh, We got uh, Dr. Strange in the house doing some weird stuff. Like a lot is going on. So, of course, all this emotion and all this tragedy has stuck to the walls of this asylum. And I just want to say that um, this is not the case for the asylum um, after... I would say the 90s. (laughs) Like, you know, you can Google the asylum right now. um, And it's it's a a regular regular asylum. So things have gotten better. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to give you some examples of what some of the people that have worked at the hospital have said. One in particular says the grounds are madly haunted which makes complete sense. It would be weird if there wasn't a single ghostly tale at that property. And then a current employee said, I worked there, been there for eight years. It's a scary place. (laughs) There's death around. We hear and see things. Well, things have gotten so bad that there's actually a Facebook page all about this asylum, right? And one I'm sorry for laughing, but one individual got on Facebook and she said her beloved brother was in the facility and that she was not able to get a hold of him. Um, And no one responded to this comment on the Facebook page. Like you would think if you, you know, went live on Twitter or whatever, you know, some some sort of social media that the asylum would um, would reply (laughs) and be like, we will be in touch. But that's that that was strange. Um, and then a, a, another concerned mother, she also left a Facebook comment that said, the staff is rude and unprofessional. They provoke children that once they act up by talking back, it's enough for them to throw the child into a restraining mechanical chair. She added, my daughter has been treated worse than an animal. Oh, my God. Okay, so I know I just said <laughs> things are better. but uh, <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> Because I wanted to do a claim. Um, but that's what, you know, that was the comments on Facebook. Okay, sorry. Things are better, though. Girl. Okay. <laughs> um, so but the what I'm about to read is something that I, I uh, found during my research. And it's a little bit about what's happening in around 2014. Okay. So... Just before Christmas of 2014, the hospital announced that they were unable to admit any more patients. The root of this was caused by a shortage of nurses. 
We have a total of 83 nurse positions at the hospital, and 12 of those are vacant. Plus, we have several nurses out for an extended period of time due to medical reasons. We've had several nurses recently leave for other positions in the community. So two years prior to the nursing shortage, there was another sign of trouble when a lawsuit was brought by a disability group, rightfully arguing that mentally ill prisoners were sitting in jail rather than being placed in the hospital. So the CEO of the Center for Healthcare Services said the problem as SASH is we've been underfunded in behavioral services in Texas so long and we don't think outside of the box. Evan goes on to say our funding is in silos and we got people taking up beds at the state hospital that don't belong there. People with Alzheimer's and closed head injuries take up civil beds and we have no community-based alternatives, no step-down units, and no residential treatment facilities. So things are harsh there, right? Even, even till this day. Um, historically, the asylum has had a high turnover rate, as you can imagine, from the medical staff. Um, and the ones that actually have stayed a little longer, like doctors, are the ones that were doing things they weren't supposed to because they were taking, ex, you know, doing experimental things to the patients, they were um, assaulting them and um, doing things that caused for the place to be haunted. Okay, so there have been cases where uh, people will sneak into the asylum and, and do seances. Hmm. Um, and of course, the cops will come and all that good stuff. But the cops don't like going there even when they have to drop people off because they'll walk up in there all the energy is like taken from their bodies the place gets very cold and then they start hearing the doors open and close uh there was an instance where one police officer said that uh she was walking through the hallways because you know she received a call that uh, there was uh, trespassing, and it was in a in a, a section that doesn't have any any patients, and she can hear like um, people like like oh you know what I mean no oh. uh, you mean like dad yeah. when he has his nightmares yes just like that <laughs> so she's like. hearing that there's no one there and then someone pulls her ponytail. Uh, she said that like it, someone pulled it so hard that she had neck pain for days to come. <sighs> and then going back to uh, folks that ha- said that you know they worked there for some time, one former n- nurse said that um, she was felt up, uh, and she always felt like someone was watching her. Others uh, that worked there said the patient would constantly say that they see things or they didn't want to enter a room. Uh, you know, they would start screaming and it's it was something it was outside of the norm of their mental issues, if that makes sense. The asylum has attempted to cleanse itself. They have brought in priests um, and other religious leaders to cleanse and apparently things have gotten better you know there's not real uh, too much accounts of hauntings currently um compared to the past 
So I think it's been tamed. I think that the ghosts are seeing that that things are are better compared to when they lived there. Um, that's my personal opinion. But, you know, only time can tell. I don't know. Maybe things are going to, all the energy will explode in the future once again. But that is my story on the ghosts of the San Antonio State Hospital. That was a hell of a like roller coaster ride of a story. Yeah, holy shit. That was good though. Uh, I know. I'm like, like I hope my kids or family never put me in a crazy asylum because well, I would not be crazy. Well. Just kidding. <laughs> Obviously, there's some sus things going on. And I even wrote down on my phone while you're reading, I was like, theory. Uh, these doctors be doing stuff, stuff, some stuff to these patients because there's like they have to be doing. They, I don't know if they are now, but they had to have been doing experiments because, I mean, how how do you just have mysterious deaths with healthy people? Yes, they they had to. There's yeah. just e- either I mean, doctors no or way. other patients. Like something was something is covered up. Absolutely, and I like how this turned into like um like crime mystery paranormal story all the good stuff mixed into one yeah combo yeah Mm -hmm. um the facebook comments really (laughs) really got me i feel like you said you were like shook just reading the story yeah (laughs) i know i kept giggling at stuff but like that it's like one of my worst nightmares like first of all you know i don't like being i could never like wrestle because the moment someone like bear hugs me i'm like i can't breathe (laughs) 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 like claustrophobic (laughs) i'm very claustrophobic so the thought of like being in one of those jackets Oh my god, crazy! And like a fucking demon is in the middle of, like, is in the corner of the room or uh, whatever the fuck. No, thank you. Fuck no, that's like so scary. That's why I like, I the the asylum that you went to, Gabriella, in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that one called? Um, Penhurst or whatever. I don't it know. It's like the Penn Penn State. Yeah, um, pen, pen, it's, it's supposed to be like the pen most haunted term. one, and they do like the they do the uh, haunted tours and shit, and you know like the. Uh, it's a um, it's a Eastern State Penitentiary. Yeah, It's the Eastern State Penitentiary, whatever. You can do overnight stays there. You can do all the shit. Nope, I can't. I don't like asylums. I don't like hospital. I don't even like hospitals when when it, it's normal. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I don't like the snow. Uh, there's just so much. I think I'm I'm glad that we do we're doing this episode because there's so much emotion that goes in on anything health related. Any you know like nine one one anything emergency. emergency. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. I told you guys before, like. I can't I can't even imagine being a dispatcher. Like I give props to all those individuals who are also dispatchers because like the shit they have to hear, you know, and that's only through like through the line. It's not like they're in person, like mm-hmm. the officers are EMTs. Now, now the officers and EMTs that's a whole different story. Like they're on they're on the field them itself, but Jesus yeah, Christ. First props to responders. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, um those- I I faint when I see blood. <laughs> The movie uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is in, he is like a dispatcher, dispat, dispatcher person. Dispatcher. <laughs> <laughs> y- y'all caught that? 
it's called the guilty and it was really good because i think they filmed it like kind of during covid so it's mostly like a lot of like voice actors but it was really good and scary and there's also the other one uh what's her name Halle berry Halle berry yes okay i want to see that one uh la 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 i don't remember what it's called it's called the call yeah yes makes sense yeah Mm-hmm. Um, I <laughs> haven't like, seen that. What's it called? <laughs> the call. What's it called? Oh, the call. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but I've seen the like snippets here and there, and wow, I can't. I could never. Jake Gyllenhaal was also in another um, first responder movie where he plays a bad guy and he hijacks a um, ambulance and goes on a. Joy right, right. Wait, but what? Yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just up in there. Nine one one. Hell yeah. Paranormal. <laughs> yeah. Um. Very good story and research, Cindy. I, I really enjoyed that one. I was, I was eating as I was listening to you, and so every time, every time something like interesting happened, I just looked up and I was like eating at the same I time. Saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really okay. good. That's a good job. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, Nana, it is your turn. Yes. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and just let you all know I'm so sorry to you guys and the booze. My throat hurts, so um, I'll be clearing my throat a lot here and there and swallowing mucus. <laughs> so just bear with me. Um, so this is from Peter. I'm not going to say the last name because I'm not sure if they want to be private. Um, but here we go. Wait, hold on. I love a good spooky Wait, hold on. Did you hear? Did you hear the, uh, sirens, the sirens going, going on, on in the background? The sirens <laughs> in the background. How appropriate! I was like, "Is that me?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay, me. go on. Um, I love a good spooky story as much as the next person, but in all of my fifty-eight years, only one truly weird thing has happened to me. This is going to take a while, so put another log on the fire and top up. <laughs> And top up your glass. Oh, I love it. (laughs) 30 odd years ago, I worked in the operating complex of a large London General Hospital. The now demolished Green Wedge District Hospital. It wasn't an old hospital and there were no stories about ghosts as far as I knew. But one place was different. The operating theater complex was big and busy. Six theaters, most of which had morning and afternoon lists plus emergency surgery at normal business hours. Theaters 1 and 2 were for general surgery, 3 was for gynecological operations, 4 was for eyes, and 5 and 6 were um, orthopedic theaters. There were up to 60 operations per day. Anyone who worked there for long enough had a story about something strange happening, mostly things moving in, in ways they shouldn't. These things usually happened at night or at other quiet times, although there was one funny thing during the day one time. In a a busy theater, between ops and the medical staff were preparing for the next patient and the cleaning staff were doing their thing. Suddenly, a young student nurse screamed. All heads turned to her, then looked in the direction she was staring. The cotton strip that tied a cleaner's dress at the back and a bow was being slowly pulled. The cleaner thought it was someone lurking around until the scream. About eight people saw that. 
These things happened, or perhaps I should say were noticed, about once a year or so. I was part of the antiquary staff, and my job was to supply the theaters with instruments from the large storeroom, sterilize instruments, and to help out in the theaters when required. The shifts were 8 to 4, 2 to 10, and 10 to 6 night shift, which I had to do one week in seven. I had been working there for about three years when one night I was working around back in the store area. At the back of each theater were two sets of four doors. Sterile instruments were put into cupboards with four doors and dirty material was collected from the other cupboards. All the doors were closed. I went around the front of the theaters for a couple of minutes and when I returned, every door was wide open. 48 doors, all open to their fullest. I went straight back and asked the nurses if they'd been in the store, which I knew they hadn't. There was no explanation, but that's not my main story. I didn't witness those doors being open, so that doesn't count. I was on nights one week, starting at 2200. What? Oh! <laughs> he was putting on um, the time. So tall. I guess, like military I time? Sorry, guys. Um, um, he's using military time. Two, two, zero, zero. So two, that would two. be... Uh, I can't think of that. <laughs> that's that's okay. 2200. That's how you say okay. it. That's uh, 10 okay. p.m. I'm a two, two, zero. Two, 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 zero, zero. Uh, two for two Tuesday. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Where was I? 2200. And I was having a game of pool and a beer in the hospital club before work. My colleague on the 2 to 10 shift warned me that the place was like a mash unit. Cold surgery had run on and on, and there were several emergency operations coming in. He had been so busy that he hadn't been able to clear a backlog of instruments to be sterilized, so I was in for a very busy night. I, agree I agreed to go in early and left the club at about 9.30. <laughs> It was indeed extremely busy when I got there. It took me a few hours to sterilize the backlog, all the time dashing back and forth into the theaters to help lift and position patients and keeping the surgical teams supplied with what they needed. By about one o'clock, things had quieted down, but I still had to fill the hatches with instruments for the next day's surgery. Six theaters with full list. The main store was about 20 yards long and six wide. Along, along three walls, there were shelves floor to ceiling full of instruments, either on metal trays and double-wrapped linen or in smaller packs of instruments for per particular operations. For example, for a hester... <laughs> uh, <for a> hester <laughs> what? I can't say it. Hysterectomy? <laughs> yes, that's... That's a rectum. Mom had. It's a hysterectomy. I can't. I'm going to say the word because I just started laughing because I already knew. <clears throat> for a hysterectomy. For example, for a hysterectomy, you need a general set too. Uh, plus drains, sutures, swabs, catheters, and all the rest of it. Why am I laughing still? I'm sorry. <clears throat> each, 
Each surgeon had their particular favorite devices, like forceps or scalpel handles of various types. I like the scalpels, just for me. <clears throat> me it was about 1.30, and I was steadily working my way through the list. I heard a thump, like something had bumped into a wall. I looked up. Suddenly, a pack of instruments came off a high shelf and landed on the floor two yards from me. The higher shelves were re recessed and not as deep as the lower ones containing the biggest general sets. So if anything had toppled off a high So if anything had toppled off a higher shelf, it would have simply landed on a lower, deeper shelf. In any case, the pack, a gallbladder pack weighing about three or four kilos, had untoppled off. It had flown off, and I had seen it with my own eyes. <clears throat> I heard myself say, do that again. Funny now, but I didn't feel at all afraid. That was my place. I'd been there for years. Busy though I was, I had sat, sat down and had a word with myself. I told myself to fix, this to fix this incident in my memory, as memory fades with time. I also put the pack back on the shelf and tried to coax, coax it off, but as I said before, it just couldn't have happened that way. I didn't tell anyone what happened for many years. Being young, I was afraid of what people might say and I didn't want to be ridiculed. I didn't even tell the theater staff and I'm not sure why. Now I have much more life behind me than in front of me and I don't give a bugger what anyone thinks. It's not that Amityville Horror, quite mundane in fact, but it happened. Heavy packs of stainless steel instruments should, should not, according to the laws of physics, fly off the shelves. And that's my story. Thanks, Peter. And you're right. I wish I poured myself a glass of wine for yeah. this. Interesting I, that's a good story. I think that there are so many Peters out in the world that experience hauntings and didn't say shit because they're scared of what people will say. Because think about 100%. it. These are professionals. These are folks that went to school for one medical degree or certificate or whatever, you know what I mean? Like they are educated people in this field and you know, they got brains on them to be able to do this stuff and they lose a sense of credibility if they're going around talking about the ghost experiences they, you know, they've had. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead with the personal stories from Rosa now. Whoop. Oh, oh God, hopefully I don't get sick again. I know. Our girl uh, Rosa. Okay, so I like started listening to it a little bit of the 911 call she sent us, and I immediately stopped it because I, I couldn't. So, well, here we go. This is Rosa's first ghost stories. Hello, ladies. I found your podcast from Post on IG. I've only listened to the first six episodes so far, and I'm hooked. I love hearing about paranormal experiences paranormal experiences and ghost stories. I wanted to share with you a couple of experiences I've had, only one as a child and one from my 20s. When I was about 10, my older sister and I were out shopping for my little nephew's birthday party. When we left the house earlier that evening, both our parents were home, but when we got back, they were gone and the house was dark. This was 1993 and my parents didn't have a cell phone then. My sister and I figured that they also left for the store or a last-minute errand. A few minutes later, our neighbor from across the street came over and asked if everything was all right. 
We told them we had just gotten home and didn't know where my parents had gone. The neighbor tells us that my mom had gone over to her house after she believed the neighbor called her in a panic. My mom told her that she got <clears throat> a call saying that a car fell on her husband. After the neighbor assured her that everyone in the house was fine and that she didn't call, my mom ran back home. At this point, my sister, the neighbor, and I were confused and worried. We sat in the living room waiting for my parents to return. A few minutes later, we heard three distinct knocks on the rear sliding door. We figured my parents had returned home. I went to the back to open the door for them, but no one was there and the driveway was empty. I went back to the living room to tell my sister no one was there when we again heard three more knocks. The neighbor went out to the front door and around the house to see if he could see who was knocking on the door, but no one was there. We all sat in the living room in shock for what seemed like an hour. Not long after we heard the second set of knocks, my dad returned home. He gave us the horrible news that my uncle, my mom's brother, was working on his van at home when the jack gave out and the car fell on him. He was dead. My aunt called my mom and in her screams of distress, my mom had thought it was the neighbor who had called. After realizing it wasn't the neighbor, she and my dad rushed to my uncle's house. We figured that the knocks on the door was my uncle saying his goodbyes to us. Second story. I grew up to be a police officer and moved into my sister's basement right after the academy. While I was in field training, I worked the midnight shift, which was from 8.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. I'd get home around 7 a.m. and sleep until about 2 p.m., or at least I tried to. My bedroom was below the kitchen area, and sometimes I'd wake up when I'd hear my brother-in-law get up to cook. He sometimes would work the overnight shift as a security guard part-time. One day, I woke up to the sound of, a s of several microwave buttons being pressed. I first thought it was coming from upstairs, but then realized it was my mi microwave that was on. I knew my brother-in-law was not home, and I found my microwave on with the timer on for over 20 minutes. I was still half asleep when I turned the microwave off and went back to bed. The next day, it happened again. I heard several buttons being pressed, and then the microwave turned on again. Again, the timer was set for over 20 minutes. I turned it off and went back to bed. The next day, I had just begun to fall asleep when I heard the microwave turn on again. This time, I was angry. I went to the microwave and unplugged it. I made the sign of the cross in the air in front of it and said out loud, Ya estuvo. I left the microwave unplugged for several days. Didn't have any more incidents after I finally plugged it back in. I told my sister about the incident and she said that before I moved in, she'd hear noises from the basement, but she chose to ignore it because the house was already blessed. I didn't have any more incidents like that when I lived there, but I would like to have found out more about who or what caused that. Hope you ladies have a great new year and I look forward to hearing more spooky stories. Rosa. Okay. Second email for Rosa. Wait, I'll be damned if I moved in with one of you guys and you didn't hey, tell, did me tell me about the hauntings. Yeah. <laughs> sure as hell. At least not on you. <laughs> not on hands on site because I'd be so upset. All right. Second story. Hey, ladies. So I'm finally getting around to telling you about this paranormal experience I had at work. As I've mentioned before, I'm a police officer. I've been an officer for 15 years and have worked most of my career on midnight patrol, which is 8.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. 
Working those twilight hours, you'd expect to have more odd calls, but I really have it. None that I can prove, at least. We often get burglary calls when the homeowner claims to hear someone walking around the house when no one else should be home. After checking the exterior of the house, we check inside, including any place someone could be hiding. The homeowners are grateful that we are thorough and apologize for wasting our time. We always tell them it's what we are here for. Sometimes they are so adamant that they heard voices or footsteps that they can, <clears throat> that they even questioned their sanity. We had tried we try to assure them that it was probably the house settling or animals on the roof. Anything to put their mind at ease. I always say to myself, it's probably a ghost. <laughs> but I, can't I, I would too. Yeah. My, mm, I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> to my partner, let's get out of here, bro. <laughs> I always say to myself, it's probably a ghost, but I can never tell the residents that. Girl, I love that. We appreciate it. Last October, I had just started my shift, and around 9.30 p.m., my partner and I get dispatched to a check-the-welfare call at a nursing home slash rehabilitation center. <laughs> Their nursing home is small, surrounded by woods, and sits in the back of a residential area. In all the years I've worked in that area, I have never been dispatched to that nursing home and even forgot that it's there because we never get calls. The nursing home has 24-hour nurses, and the call taker will often check with the nursing staff before dispatching police or paramedics. <clears throat> Usually, after the nurse handles whatever issue the patient is having and police are not needed. This time, the dispatcher advised we check on the patient named Dale in room 12. No other information was provided about the situation. My partner arrived at the location a few minutes before I did. By the time I was pulling up, he was coming out of the building. He told me that he spoke to a nurse and she said there was no one in room 12. The gentleman living there had recently passed away of cancer. I asked him if the patient was named Dale, but he didn't think to ask. He's a rookie. <laughs> I appreciate that. He did say that the nurses checked on the male patients and they were all fine. I looked at the notes in the call and saw that the phone number from the 911 call did not match the nursing home phone number. I called the number, but it was not a working number. The call taker definitely had to use the location of the phone to give us the address. So who made the call? I requested to hear the 911 recording and was stoked at what I heard. I've attached it below. Go ahead and listen to it now. 911, what's the address of the emergency? Hello, nine one one. Yeah, I got killed. You got what? They're coming up right now. I'm sorry, sir. I'm having a hard time hearing you. Sir, you still there? Sir, can you tell me what room you're in? Hello? Come here. Okay, what room are you in?
you have some problems? Okay, can you tell me your name? Are you still there? Hello? Hang up. Sir, what, what room are you in? Is it 402? One, two. You're in room 12? Okay, what is your name? Can you tell me your name? Okay, can you tell me exactly what happened? I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Are you still there? Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Why did you call 911? What's going on? Are you able to call a nurse? Okay, can you try and see if you can call a nurse? What is your first name? I'm sorry, what is your name? Dale. Dale? 
Okay, can you try and see if you can call the nurse? Brief hold and see if I can call a nurse for you, okay? Yeah. All right, hold on one moment for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, my uncle got a haircut cut. Let's uh, hold on, son, I'm sorry. Great, cold with my hair, so I said, something Somehow he did it, did it, and had all cookie hazers. So, I gotta get it rewired again, you know. Okay, just hold on one moment. It's a bit hard to hear the caller, but from what I can make out, it says, I've got cancer. Please tell me where I am. He says his name and room number, and later he says something about being content and happy with everybody and not to worry about him. At the end, he makes some incoherent statements about a cookie hater. LOL. <laughs> If y'all heard any more, anything different, I'd love to know your thoughts. This is the freakiest call I've been on, and I really wanted to follow up with staff and ask if the patient in room 12 was Dale. I wanted to play them the recording to see if they recognized the voice too, but I also didn't want to be disillusioned, lol. Hit me up if you have any questions or want to discuss the incidents further. Have a great weekend, Rosa. So Thanks, Rosa. I cannot. The best. This is I honestly one of like the better stories we've gotten. Like... Just because there's the dispatch call along with it, which is in freaking sane, that you can, that we can like provide this. Rosa, first of all, thank you for giving it to us to provide and allowing us to use it in the in the podcast and for this episode. But it's just so cool because, you know, it's kind of like a little extra thing for not only us but for our booze to hear and um, to go along with it. Boots, if you guys heard anything else or anything different or able to, like, dissect the words that he says even better, let us know. Like, reach out to us, DM us, comment on, under the post on our Instagram. I would love to hear if anybody else caught anything else because I wasn't, I couldn't really hear much else. I heard something maybe about, like, a Greg, right? Yeah. And, like, I wonder, is, like, does he have a son named Greg? You know what I mean? Who knows? But, yeah, so uh, those are the stories from Rosa. So thank you so much. I, I appreciate that she she also, first thoughts are your house is haunted. <laughs> uh, yeah, when she's towing a uh, well visitor or whatever they're mm. called. Yeah, that's hilarious. I would, too. Well, I'm no, like, not mm. just, like, when they visit a house because they thought they heard uh, an intruder. Oh, I know. <clears throat> yeah, so. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your service and everybody around you. Always appreciate police. Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Rosa said that her partner also uh, is is into the paranormal, I believe. Which, I don't know. She mentioned her partner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, I wonder if it's the rookie. Also, if you should have got the names, bro. Uh, come on now. <laughs> Uh, now they know for next time. 
Anyway, but yeah. if booze, you haven't seen our Instagram, we did post a video Rosa has sent us, like completely separate situation. But she sent us a video of like a um, what's it called? Like a dumpster being moved on like a windless night. And I appreciate the person whoever said like that's spooky or whatever at the end. I can't remember exactly what they said. Probably but her partner. It was so funny. I if you haven't seen it, it's very cool and very creepy. So go check it out on our Instagram, uh, Haunted in Mana's podcast. Yeah, and uh, try not to get nauseous when you hear the nine one one call. Oh my god, let she us know if us. anybody else felt like sick because I, I can't really. I try not to listen to it as much anymore. But I was honestly sick when I first heard it. Thinking yeah. about it makes me like a little nauseous. Not gonna lie, but that's yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, booze. Thank you once again. Just want to remind you guys to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Tell your friends and family about us, anyone that's into the paranormal. Um, And send us stories. Even though we mentioned a couple episodes ago that we are going to take a little break with um, listener stories. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Oh, <laughs> gosh. It's a phlegm. It sounded, sounded like the demon was coming out of you. I know. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, even though we're going to take a break um, in a couple of months with listener stories, just because uh, we are running out of them, we <laughs> still uh, we, we still would like to receive them and read them on future episodes. So please hit us up. Yes. Follow us on all our social media pages, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we are at Haunted in Mana's podcast. Feel free to email us your stories at hauntedinmanaspodcast at gmail.com. And if anything happens to you, or let us know. Tell us your ghost stories. Also, if you're also, whoa, if you also work in law enforcement and you have experienced any spooky 911 calls hit us up i like to hear more of these these are super cool and that's it from me that's it from us we will see you in the next episode bye adios y bye con dios mm-hmm.